what is an NFT to you and what uh, limited or unlimited experience can either of you share or both of you share about NFTs? Um. You are now tuning in to Kickspot with Jidu Park and And we're back at the kick spot. We just want to say we're sorry that we haven't put content in a long time. <laughs> long ass time. COVID has uh, taken its toll. Uh, not just us, but the podcast. Not saying that we got COVID, but mm-hmm. it's just <laughs> <laughs> looking at Ms. Instagram, I think uh, it I looked know, like I he just, had COVID. I don't but, have COVID. But uh, we're we're back. Uh, we appreciate you uh, checking out our content still uh, and showing us some some love. Uh, we've had a lot of people reach out to us asking us to continue our content, and so that's yep. why we want to apologize uh, for not putting it uh, putting it on. But we're gonna still continue to do our our Kickspot show. And screw COVID, and we back, and we back, and, and we we just got the news from you know the CDC, the new guidelines. No more masks. No more masks unless you're fully vaxxed. You know, so super excited about that. Yes, we are. It's going to be a new change. But, you know, it, it, interesting because, you know, you just never know who who actually got vaccinated or not, right? Right, right, right. I could just pretend that, to be honest with you. Yeah, but we're, we're both vaccinated. We got a special guest in the house as well, too. Uh, Ari, you want to introduce yourself? Hey, yes. Very glad to be here. I'm Ara Gambarian. I'm with Pounder and Plenzi. Excited to share a little bit with you guys about uh, our new decentralized finance platform. Right. So that's actually why we brought him along today is to get educated on the DeFi side, you know, of um, the auto world. So which will be not only educational for us, but it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about it. We're going to have a lot of questions. We're going to have a ton of perspectives about it, uh, especially Genu. Uh, <laughs> I'm the deeper questioner, yeah, man. He's a deeper questioner, you know. I mean, I go, I go deep too. Don't best believe that, mm. you know. But not as deep as you, I guess. But mm. anyways, <laughs> but a quick question for you guys. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Go ahead, sir. In your interactions with the people who follow you and watch your videos, do you get a lot of feedback or even just back and forth about crypto or DeFi or anything financial? I mean, that's we've been wanting to talk about it, so I think. You're like the first guest that we're going to have that's going to talk about it. So actually, it's pretty cool um, to get your kind of insights about the entire world. And obviously with Pounder and Plenzi, uh, you know, we're going to talk about that. So why don't we get started? Well, I think from like a financial standpoint, it was more like stocks. Yeah, but not crypto or anything. So we haven't really we've talked about crypto, but we haven't really gone deep into crypto, especially when we were talking about stocks is when like everything was booming. Yeah. And it was like. Man, we're making a crap ton of money and doing all that. And now it's inflation. Now, now, now things have been a little bit, bit different. So, um, yeah. Um, so crypto, it's going to be an interesting topic. Um, so guide us through what is crypto for the people that don't really understand crypto. <laughs> this is perfect timing for this, given uh, Elon Musk having just been a, a host on SNL. So yeah, uh, I'll follow his lead and and share that crypto is digital currency. Um, it's typically underpinned by blockchain technology, which is, you know, the bulk of the conversation. Um, and there are altcoins, there are stable coins, and then there's Bitcoin, which many of us consider to be the gold standard in the crypto industry. But uh, really, it's just another way to transact financially without using hard money, which we call fiat money. 
and it's becoming pretty prevalent in a lot of facets of life right now. Right. So, so talk about um, Plenzi because I know that's going to be the main topic that we're going to have today. So, you know, kind of break down for our listeners and for our viewers what the FI is and, you know, uh, decentralized finance and how Plenzi is affecting that world, especially in the auto world. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, I'll, I'll quickly share the genesis of how we got to Plenzi, yeah. but in direct answer to your question, and you know, you got to keep me honest today because sometimes <laughs> you'll ask me a question, I'll go roundabout and not give you a direct answer. I'm so. going direct, man. Okay, absolutely. And keep me honest. <laughs> um, so decentralized finance is simply, there is no centralized body governing what we do. That's brought about by blockchain technology and decentralized ledgers. So now instead of having a central bank controlling all the funds, all of us become transactors in this big, massive body of people all over the planet, which in and of itself expands the pool of economics instead of just here in California or in the United States. Now it's global. We're all transacting with each other. Uh, and each of the coins that are coming out most often come out with their own niche. Like, you know, this coin does this and this coin helps do that. So uh, you see a lot of creative younger people coming out with some really cool concepts. Um, we're just, you know, in kind of an infancy stage right now. So we don't know what's going to happen. It's really exciting. So you think this is infancy stage still? Oh, yeah. We're so because so right now, I think the market cap that we're on is about two trillion. And then they're saying that it could go to seven to 10 trillion. And that's we're still infancy. Where, where do you think it's going? When I say infancy, I mean that in multiple parts, meaning um, blockchain technology has been around for about a decade or so ever yeah. since Satoshi introduced us to it. And we can dive into that later. But <laughs> um, it, it's not a new technology, but its applications are so new because we're doing so many different things with blockchain. Um, and, you know, we could talk a little deeper about blockchain because it's a pretty simple thing. It's new-ish, but we haven't seen all that many applications because we're trying to figure out how can we utilize blockchain for things like supply chain or things like bureaucracies. And the difficulty becomes people realize that there's going to be mass sweeping changes because of what blockchain offers. And most often people aren't comfortable with change. So there's a lot of pushback toward that, especially when you get into the governmental realm. realm. Imagine there's no more DMV. Everything is done. I would love that. Yeah, I think a lot of people would be happy about yeah. that. But that, yeah. I mean, imagine what that's going to look like to the bureaucracies. They're going to push back heavy because they don't want that. So I, we're new in that regard. And we're new in the regard of crypto. I mean, there are a ton of cryptos. And all we see on social media is buy this and Doge is doing that. but. We're really early uh, because of the fresh understanding of what blockchain is going to allow us to do. How, how do you think you'd compete against guys like that invent Dogecoin and, you know, what is it? Shino? Shiba? Shiba. Shiba. Yeah. I mean, like, as of right now, people are thinking that it might be like a joke, right? And then they're making their own crypto. And then there are other cryptocurrencies that are coming into play. There's, there's like thousands. So I think what's tough is... To be able to use it as a currency, it's easy be, uh, with like dollars because it's it's a universally the most popular thing. Bitcoin, I think, is going to stay around for a long time. But all these small players coming into the game, I think it's tough for them to compete against the big guys. So how do you separate yourself as someone, excuse me, coming in and then competing against uh, that mindset or 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 the, or the big guys? 
Excellent question. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree that it's tougher for the smaller players to play in the space. As we all have heard, Doge started out as a joke, literally yeah. a joke. And, you know, it got popular, it got traction. And when you get someone like Elon Musk to really blow you up, you become legitimate and um, you start to grow. What we saw happening in 2017, 2018 was this craze of ICOs, initial coin offerings, where people were coming out with not really a coin, but a white paper explaining what a potential coin could do. Mm. And they they were just all pump and dump. You know, people were putting a ton of money into these startups and nothing was coming to fruition. Um, and I'm glad we're talking about crypto in specific because what we've developed technically started as a crypto coin in 2017 when the craze was hot. We saw a niche because we've been serving the automotive market for almost two decades now. Right. And so we developed AutoCoin, but we saw what was happening and the lack of regulation, especially with no SEC involvement mm -hmm. and so many people come into the market with things that weren't real. Uh, so we decided to park the idea because it just wasn't time for it yet. It's since evolved into not a cryptocurrency whatsoever, but it's become a decentralized platform, decentralized finance platform. So it's called DeFi, uh, serving the automotive industry initially with big plans to expand. So, so is, are you serving mostly dealerships or are you consumer, uh, consumer centered as far as your services is concerned? That's a cool question because most often when a new solution comes to market, it's either very pro dealership or very pro customer. Mm -hmm. It's really tough to strike this balance where both sides win. In fact, I, I defy anyone to come up with an actual solution that's on the market today serving automotive that truly serves both sides. I mean, TrueCar really did try to do that by finding the best prices and getting people to dealerships. But if you kind of dive into the internal workings, it's not necessarily the case. I'm not going to bash TrueCar. They're a great company, oh, they're but good. They're, good. Uh, they're, they're more pro dealership. Got it. So what we've been able to do, because we have so much experience in this space, we've felt literally all the pain points. We've seen so many dejected people who just got treated unfairly. We've been able to strike a balance and be able to help both sides literally equally. And uh, as far as R&D, what R&D did you guys do in order to kind of launch Plenzi or before even launching Plenzi? Like what kind of R&D did you guys do? Uh, the amazing thing about R&D is I, I think it literally never ends because especially when we're in what I still think is the infancy of this technology. Um, what we started with was focusing on the ICOs, seeing what's coming to market, how these people are becoming successful or what's making a lot of these people fail. And uh, more importantly, what was the nonsense? What were the lies? And how do we avoid all mm. that silliness to come to market with something real? So AutoCoin was initially intended as a cryptocurrency that people could purchase to buy cars with. And if the value went up, then great. Now my $500 payment went from 500 to 250 because the value went up. Uh, that was the intention. But big, again, like I said, the SEC wasn't uh, regulating what was happening. It was this whole craze. Things were hot. So we decided to park it because of that. And now we've launched it as Plenzi or about to launch it as Plenzi. But what we've been doing is stress testing the algorithms. So how it works is, and we'll dive into like the particulars later, but just to answer your question directly, and I still haven't answered your first question, I don't think, but... Uh, it's decentralized finance. So what we're offering is a platform for people to come and get a loan 
without a credit score. Consumers, you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Any borrower? Yeah. No credit score is required. And that's, I mean, it's so important right now because just to quick, take a quick look at that market, right now in America, there's roughly 330 million people. And of those, let's say roughly 100 million are children or the elderly who don't need credit or don't transact with credit. That leaves roughly 230 million people that do utilize credit. Of those 230 million, roughly 55 million people right now are misscored. They have something wrong with their credit score. They don't know how to change it. They don't know about it. And they can't use their credit to actually get funding. Mm -hmm. Another 45 million people just don't have a score. And this is all according to Fair Isaac Company, who gives us our credit. If you have 100 million people out of a pool of 230 million people that just can't use their credit, just imagine the horrible implications of that. And that isn't knocking FICO. I mean, FICO has been around for decades and they've done a lot of great work to help people. But the way the system is today with the current environment of how people are transacting, it's just not working for a lot of people. So I'm going to rewind um, because, I mean, you guys are in the auto finance world and I'm definitely not. So how, so you talked about Plenzi and then you're talking about Pounder and, and as an audience member, I'm like, I don't know the difference between it. What the hell are these two? Yeah. Like now you've explained Plenzi with the AutoCoin changing over to Plenzi. And I got a lot of questions revolving that. But what is Pounder? Is that like the parent company? And then you, it, it, your DBA is Plenzi? Like, how is that? Thank you for rewinding us. I'm, yeah. I'm glad we, we came back to that. You guys are rapid firing the questions and I love them, <laughs> but sometimes rapid I forget. Fire. So uh, Pounder is a product that we've, developed in-house. All of our products are fully self-funded. We're a zero debt company. Um, several years ago, while my partner was working at a local dealership, uh, he learned that a lot of people just couldn't get to the finish line. They had good income. They had uh, a good intention to purchase a car. They had need to purchase a car, but they could just couldn't get financed. Um, and particularly, uh, he noticed that was happening in the Latino market. Now, to kind of put that in perspective, last year alone, in Southern California alone, Latinos spent $1.9 billion in automotive in SoCal. Like purchases? In purchases. So shame on anybody who doesn't want to serve that market. Uh, so we decided that was going to be our niche. So pounder is a terminology used in automotive. When you walk into a dealership, if they see you wearing a pounder shirt, everybody starts screaming because pounders, uh, like if you sold a car, and I was your coworker, I'd come up to you and say, well, how many pounds was that? And you tell me it was five pounds, meaning you just made five grand on that deal. So on yeah. the it's dealership like a, like a side, that's like a commission. Yeah, yeah. that's how yeah, much yeah, you yeah. made as yeah. okay. your pay. Um, on the dealership side, we're known as Pounder. Mm -hmm. uh, to the uh, world, we're known as Auto Latinos. So what we do is we use Facebook and Instagram to engage intending buyers who we know are Latino, who are within 25 miles of a store, and we uh, give them very specific dark posts because now we know where they're at, who they are, what they're looking for. So we give them a dark post, which in Facebook terminology is a very specific ad just for you. So then once they engage us, we get their information and then we utilize that as a lead for the stores, for Got the it. dealerships. So that's the pounder side. Because we've learned so many of these people are good borrowers, they have every intention of making their loan payments, but they just can't get funded. That was the genesis for turning AutoCoin into a decentralized finance platform, which can serve these people without using credit scores. Right, because what we also found as working in the auto world in the last six years is 
in the Latino world, like there's just so many opportunities that are missed based on credit score. And either based on credit score or based on income. It's almost like FICO was shutting people away. Just but they could they could pay the car loan, but because their score wasn't you know, it wasn't high enough, they were getting turned down for no reason. It was just like, what happened with that? Right? So that's why like Plan Z was like, oh, that's that's an awesome idea. Like, you know, we could pop we could service X amount of, of people and we, we could expand that out of the Latino world and you know use it for everyone. So Pounder's initially the prospecting mm -hmm. company. Correct. The prospects and then Plenzi would be the financial side where they help the prospects with the financial it's the aspect solution. of it. Exactly. So Plenzi, is that are you am I using like dollars to be able to to qualify or that's a great question um no do you want to take a little deep dive into how the process works mm -hmm. yeah it, the dollars come in after you've been approved okay so you wouldn't pay for anything so the service is free to the customers to the borrowers and there's a nominal fee per transaction to the dealership which is a 695 flat fee 695 695 dollars which is actually very very competitive in this world, I mean, uh, fees from banks to dealerships can be upwards of two, three, four thousand dollars sometimes. So, this is we, per per customer, per customer, per transaction. Okay, got yeah. it. So, um, I'll walk you through like start to finish how Plenzi yeah, yeah, works, yeah. and Plenzi is going to be a two part conversation. So, the first part will just focus on lending, if you'll indulge me. Okay. Yeah. So, I'm the dealer. You're Plenzi. You're the borrower. Okay. I'm Plenzi. You're Plenzi. Just for kicks. Yeah. So you come into me and you pick out a car and let's say for round numbers, it's a $25,000 car and you're really interested in it. So I have you come in and we go through the Plenzi platform. So first you log in with your thumbprint and we take a facial recognition. We're utilizing the same technology that's being utilized by Homeland Security and TSA. So we know we're solid there. So now we know it's actually you. In lending today, one of the biggest problems is straw borrowers, people who are mm. just using other people's identities yep. or social security numbers. All day. It's 2021 and this is still prevalent. All which is day. Crazy. And all that does is hurt everybody. It hurts the yeah. market, it hurts the dealerships, it hurts the automotive uh, manufacturers. So we've alleviated that problem. Um, instead of us asking you for your social or for your FICO score or trying to get your FICO, we just have you log in through Plaid. Plaid is a third-party intermediary. They're very well oh, known. Oh, you guys work with Plaid? Yeah, we They're, do. They're, man, they just got IPO'd, right? Uh, technically, no. What happened was a couple months ago, they were going to be acquired. The acquired, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, you're right on track. Uh, for $5.9 billion Correct. by awesome. Visa. Yep. That fell through, and everybody thought, oh, wow, this Hard. is the demise of Plaid. Plaid turned around and raised $1.2 billion by their own internal employees mm -hmm. showing how much their own people believe in them in the product so you come in and you log into your wells your b of a your fidelity uh your payroll which is a new product that plaid just recently rolled out now we see what you're actually transacting how much you can really afford to repay each month rather than what your credit score tells you and i could share story after story about how there have been unfair instances like you know an attorney who doesn't have much credit history but makes 500 an hour, can't get qualified for a $350 Camry payment or Avalon payment. It just didn't make sense because he didn't have a credit score. So he's offered like a 20% rate because he's a risk, but right. the guy's not a risk, right. he's an attorney. And there's so many instances like that. But so we've alleviated that difficulty. We don't care about the credit score. 
And what's really great is because of this new offering by Plaid, even if you're a 1099 employee, you know, so many people have jumped on the gig economy. They're driving Uber, Lyft, Instacart, not just to make ends meet, but because now they're making good money at yeah. it. But oftentimes that doesn't get reported as real income, so they don't get credit, they don't get credit for it. We've alleviated that problem now. We we're able to take the 1099 income because of this new offering. So now we know exactly how much you're making, exactly how much you're spending, what you have in reserve, and there's a few other criteria that help you out. Uh, the reason why we call it Plenzi is because it's a points-based lending system. So for P for points-based, L-E-N for lending, S-Y for system. So for each bit of criteria that you provide us, we give you points. We've kept it super simple, and there's only four tiers, A, B, C, and D. And whatever you come in at uh, has its rate and its term, depending on your tier. I always like to give a little challenge to people I talk to about this at this part and say, you know, imagine you have a 620 score and you need to get to a 700 just to get a better rate on what you want to buy. Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to get to a 700? I mean, it's going to take a minute. You know, it could take a minute. You lower your debt. Yeah. I mean, you know, you uh, you have long-term credit. So you, if you have a credit card, never cancel it. Make sure you have 30% utilization on a credit card. Uh, someone's got credit karma. I do. <laughs> you also spend it and then pay it. You pay on time. I mean, I don't know. You got to have X amount of credit open and credit close like you i think you have to have like you know if you do get into um what's it called um if you owe something i forgot i'm like blanking out right now um if you owe something like you're in debt no no, no not, <laughs> not you're in debt um if it defaults right like you gotta owe your payment payment on time yeah, like, I mean, you just got to make your payment on time. But, I mean, yeah. that could take months to years to get from 620 to 720 or 700. Does it? Well, you're both dead on. In order for any needle movement in your credit score, it takes 45 days. That's the bare minimum. Yeah. So whatever car you were looking at just now that you're jacked up about and you got a great price on, forget about it because it's not going to happen. That's the initial difficulty. Other than that, you had a really good point. Pay off your credit card. Definitely that can work, but because the three bureaus, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion don't communicate and don't have the same rules, what you do to augment one will likely hurt another. So you go and you pay off a $3,500 credit card debt, so you get your experience score up hopefully, but then you see it hurts your other two bureaus, which definitely happens because this guy has a rule of you have to keep your, your uh, credit balance. percentage yeah. balance yeah. up, but this one says, no, if you pay it off, you're good. You go and you pay off a student loan, but you didn't have it long enough for the seasonality requirement of this bureau, but you had it long. So there's a lot of vague rules that we just don't know about and they're never going to share with us that could help us or could hurt us. And yeah, and to add on to that, like certain regions and dealerships can use any of the three and you just don't know which one they're going to use. You're like, so you're almost like you're playing a blind game on what they're gonna use. Cause if you're Equifax at 580, but your experience at 700 and yeah. then your TransUnion is at 680, you're like, and then they choose your lowest one. You're like, but my other two is like this. You know, I mean, that's crazy game. That literally happened to me a few months ago. Oh, I really? went in to get pre-approved for a mortgage and on my Credit Karma, the two uh, credit unions show me at like 780 and 787. So I'm thinking, all right. I'm good. If the third one is less, it can't be that much less, you know? Um, I go in and my experience is 640. Big difference, right? How does that, right? how does that happen? Sense? 
It's weird. My, mine are all the same. Yeah. So I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. they're fairly like the same. Yeah. You know, they're not the same. It's like exact maybe like thing. five points off. Yeah. It's not. not like I wish weird. I could say the same, yeah, but I, I saw this drastic difference and I was baffled. So my first thought is, okay, Credit Karma is just way off. But then when I checked with the other two bureaus, they were actually pretty darn close, but Experian had me way lower and I had to dive in and figure out what was going on. Turns out there was a hundred dollar collection from Comcast like eight years ago that's still lingering and I didn't even know I had it. Tough. Which happens so often with people. Yeah. So we've alleviated that issue. So now let's go right back to the process. So you've logged into your accounts through Plaid. I know exactly the Plan Z algorithms know exactly what you can afford to repay each month on the spot. You're given your tier, your rate and your term. If you don't like it, we'll show you on the spot how to instantly go from like a D to a C or a B or an A. Um, very different from what we see with credit. How long is the process to be able to go from one tier to the next okay. tier? Literally like one or two minutes. It depends on you and what you're able to provide. So let's say you've got a B of A, Wells, Chase, this, that, the other, but you only logged into one or two of them. So if you uh, access a couple more of those or your Fidelity account for your investments or you know your payroll, the more you provide, the higher the points total becomes. And you can also bring in a co-borrower or you could also add to your down payment or purchase one of our ancillary products. Could it go the opposite direction? So if I knew I was I was in debt in like one <laughs> of the banks <laughs> and I don't tell you that information, so I'm on a certain tier and then I bring that but in. Won't you see it already? It, no. Well, no, that's an excellent question that I don't get asked often. Yeah, you'd want to play it a little bit smarter than okay. exposing something you wouldn't want to expose. I don't want to advertise that, but yeah, you want to play it smart. You know, you want to okay. show whatever paints you in the best light. So from one tier to the next tier, what, like if I'm buying a $25,000 car, right? What's the big difference in like financing? Actually, that's another problem we've alleviated. There aren't a lot of differences. So to put things in perspective, if you have great credit, you can get 0% financing with some caveats. Mm -hmm. If you have good credit, you can get good rates, four, five, 6%, which is still pretty good. It's not great and it's not bad. Um, if you have bad credit, if you have really bad credit or no credit, your rates could be 20, 25, up to 30%, which is ridiculous because if you're already in a position where you've got bad credit and you're trying to get out of that hole and buy a car so you can go to work or use it for work, and I put you into a 30% loan on a $25,000 car, I'm basically guaranteeing you, you're gonna hurt yourself even more yeah. financially. So we've set our rates 4% to 9%. Okay. Super simple. Dealerships are allowed to bump up an additional 2% to make mm -hmm. some more profit, yep. but we've kept it really simple. So even if it, you're at a D and you want to climb to an A, we're not talking about this vast, crazy difference, but you're going to help yourself. There'd be a lot of benefit from going from nine to four. Okay. So then let's continue the process. Like, so I, I, I fill everything out. I'm like an A tier. And then what happens after that? So. Uh, not to correct you, but there's nothing to fill out. This is all digital. digital yeah. yeah, it's all via smart contracts. So everything is done almost instantly. And our aim is to take the car buying process from a two, three, four, five hour ordeal to less than half an hour, which is so ideal for us because we get to be in and out of these dealerships quicker. And for dealerships, it's great because now they can bring in more and more people and get them cycled yep, in and out exactly. faster. So again, both sides are winning. Um, so you've logged in, we've seen everything. We give you a tier A, you're at 4%, five years. You're happy with it. 
as soon as you agree uh, to accept the deal, the dealership has one caveat. They have to go live with our GPS because that's how we're going to protect our asset, protect and track our asset. Um, we, we sell four ancillary products in general, and there's a few other ancillary products coming on board like tire protection. And can you talk about those? Absolutely. So, uh, the primary is the GPS alarm, which we have to have. You have to, you, they have to accept that. Absolutely. Okay. What and if, what if a consumer doesn't want to accept that? Then they won't be fun. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Simple as that. It's very simple. Okay. Yeah. Um, most often we don't see a lot of pushback on that Got because it. it's just extra protection for the consumer and for the dealership and for the funder. Um, but we're working with um, some extremely reputable providers that most people know and most dealerships have worked with. So it's a very, the comfort level is high in that regard. And we are doing a rev share with the dealership. So they're incentivized. Um, the other three products are gap insurance. Of course. Uh, service warranty, which is extremely profitable for everybody. For everybody. And we're rolling out our own vehicle insurance as well. Got it. So the only one that is a caveat that they have to go live with is the GPS alarm. When that goes live, we deal, we fund the dealership. Do you think you can get a lot of pushback for that though? Because like, <clears throat> there's a lot of people that even with like COVID tracing, they're against that. Um, privacy issues are always going to be paramount, especially in 2021. Um, but in all fairness, this, this isn't set up in a way that we're invading people's privacy. The ping rate is extremely low. Like your cell phone is consistently pinging. These devices only start to ping the vehicle after payments have been missed and notifications have been sent. So what is that three payments missed? And then those you guys are going to start pinning the consumer. Yeah, I, that's still being finalized right now the specific details about that but i'm not at all trying to diminish your point um but this is a, a whole different game it's very common for vehicles to have gps trackers on them especially when the customer understands that if you want this incredible loan without a credit score the only thing the bank requires to protect their asset is this gps then they get it and they comply but uh, like so right now with even like apps it'll ask you like Hey, um, do you want to turn on your functions or do you not want to turn off your function? That, and that was really based off the fact that all these big tech companies are getting sued uh, for for privacy. So you don't think that that would bite you in the ass in the future? Like I, I would be like very, like if I'm like a shareholder in the future and I'm like looking at that, that's something that I'd be super afraid of. I get that from your perspective. And again, not at all to diminish it. Um, in this realm, it's not just a commonality, but it also is in the T's and C's and the terms and conditions before you sign on for your loan, before the vehicle is funded, you are made fully aware. It's kind of like, you know, do you accept the cookies on this site? 99% mm. of the time I click yes, just to get that bar out of the way, just so I can go in. I know they're going to have my data. Um, but within the terms and conditions, we are making it very clear that we're not seeking to track you. We will not be tracking you. This is simply to protect our asset. And we are absolutely within all legalities and guidelines to make sure that we don't cross any lines. That's been our primary focus, making sure everything is by regulation by the book. Um, that is a valid point though, but I think for shareholders from their perspective, it's a definite plus, it's a positive because you're thinking, you know, all of the stuff that happened with Cambridge Analytica and Facebook and that whole mess, that was them taking people's data without notifying them and selling it with 
oftentimes pretty sinister outcomes. This is very much the opposite. This is a protection of an asset with full disclosure and notification. So uh, I would argue it's, a, it's fairly different. And within this realm, it's very common to have GPS units, especially in the um, commercial world, uh, but even in the, um, the layperson world. GPS trackers are pretty common, especially now with uh, the prevalence of insurance companies using them. Would you like, so if I was just an average Joe and I wanted to purchase a, a car for like $200,000, for example, like the best of the best, and I don't qualify for any of the four tiers or do I, or do I still, can I still qualify for the four tiers? <laughs> so um, there are some limitations. Um, the first that comes to mind is a loan to value. Um, typically speaking in this world, uh, in this realm, I mean, um, uh, all in, you're going to be at about 135% loan to value, meaning if you're seeking to purchase a car for $10,000, we can approve you for up to $13,500 to cover everything that you're trying to get. So we haven't finalized the exact parameters of how much max we're going to loan out, but it really will come down to your ability to repay. And um, we're going to go max 10 years old on the vehicles that we will be funding. Like 100,000. Yeah. Max. Well, we're still it's defining that. So defining that. Yeah. That seems super high, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> well, to put it, I'm sorry to speak over you, but to put it in perspective, right now, the average new car loan in the U.S. is roughly 33 and change. Yeah. And the average used car loan is roughly 21, 22,000. That's our, you know, that should comfort. be the bread and butter. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, our bread not, and butter. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying, but like, you know, cause I mean, I'm in the world, so I see it every, every, it, that's normal. Like, you know, that's why ancillary products go 10 years, a hundred thousand, you know, yeah. um, because they're, they're trying to make sure that just like what Ara was saying, your, your ability to repay doesn't go over that loan to value. Cause I mean, some banks will go up to 150 you know, loan to value, just so they can provide that uh, finance for the consumer. So let's go back into like, after I'm done, I get the car. Um, so the the money conversation, is this in dollars that I'm repaying you back? Or you said there's a two part conversation with, with uh, plenty. plenty. Uh, you have cool questions, bro. I love your questions. <laughs> um, we'll get to that cooler okay. part in okay. a minute, but let's round out the lending yeah. part. So just a quick recap. Uh, one flat fee of six ninety five to the dealership, which is awesome. That covers all of our costs. Um, initially, the four ancillary products: uh, GPS alarm, gap, uh, gap insurance, service warranty, and our own vehicle insurance. Uh, ABCD tiers, four percent to nine percent financing. Everything done on the blockchain via smart contract. Quick funding. Regarding funding. Um, if you're a great dealership, if you run really smooth and you know exactly what you're doing, you're on top of things and the people who are giving out the loans and working the finance directors, if they're getting all the stipulations that the underwriters need right up front and everything, all the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, you're getting paid on that car you just sold. If you're great in a week or so. Oh, so it's not technically. Okay. It's not funded right away. Correct. Okay. A bit like if you go to one of the major banks as a dealership and you fund this borrower, there are a lot of things that have to happen after the sale that before those things happen, you're not going to get paid as a dealership. So Sometimes me, it's a little quicker, but on average, you're going to be around a week. So I have a question. So that involves title and, you know, an ownership. So what, what is your process involving titles with that? Because that's almost at the end of it. 
perfecting yeah. that title. Um, so that's the fun part. Um, <laughs> so one of the major advantages that we offer to the dealership is as soon as you're done with your process, you've given us everything, we've approved you, all is good. And now they've gone live with the GPS. We fund them within 24 hours, which is a huge boon for the them. The dealership. The dealership for your loan. And then you'll start making your monthly payments as you normally would. And the question, uh, the question you've been is, uh, itching for an answer about is, yeah, you will be able to pay in cryptocurrency. In fact, currently, our wallets are set up to even accept cryptocurrency, Bitcoin primarily, uh, by investors as well. That is something that is kind of in the works right now because it's tricky. I mean, we all saw what Elon Musk tweeted yep. about, you know, they bought a ton of Bitcoin. It was amazing. Bitcoin went up as a result. And then today they come out and they say, uh, we're not accepting. We're not going to accept anymore because of the climate effects. Okay, we get that and we respect that. How did you not know that as a gigantic global conglomerate that there were difficulties in mining Bitcoin that caused climate issues? Why did you get us so jacked up and excited about your purchase, $1.5 billion, and you're accepting it as payment, and then all of a sudden you pull the rug out from under us? So that I think that's where a lot of the bitterness is with Elon Musk right now, because you knew. Why don't you just not do it or do it differently? Um, but um, we will be accepting um, cryptocurrency. But to your point, so once it's funded, we assume title. We become the title holder as the bank, technically. And then that's where the fund begins. So any questions on the lending part? Yeah, pretty simple. Yeah. Okay, question for you guys. What is an NFT to you and what uh, limited or unlimited experience can either of you share or both of you share about NFTs? Um, for non-fungible tokens is what it stands for. Um, what I know, I don't know much, well, I know it's it's pretty much the simplest form that I learned from it. It's it's a piece of ownership. So, for example, all these athletes, you know, music like artists are now coming out with their own NFTs. Like Gronk just came out with his own NFT, which is insane. Um, there's this dude I forgot B Bipple or is that his name? You said it right. Bipple. Uh, Bipple. Um, but he constructed like what was it a hundred of these like old NFTs and made it like an artwork and it was sold for sixty million dollars. Sold for sixty million dollars, right? But I, I still don't understand how they are getting paid on that and why is it so much why is it worth so much money for these NFTs? Like I'm still confused on kind of how that world is. It's still pretty new to me. That's how I don't know. I, I have no clue. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Um, and if I'm wrong, like tell no, me. No, you're, you're basically dead on. Non-fungible tokens for us for, as lay people, it's a newer concept, but they've been around for years. It's just basically one of one. You said it exactly right. It's basically a, a, a representation of something. Um, for people in their 40s and 50s, I've learned that a really good example to put it in perspective is if you remember, you guys are probably gonna laugh because you probably don't remember these, but um, Disney, whenever they make a cartoon, it's they can divide them up in little cells. Those, they're called cells, just a plastic sheet that's clear that has say like a picture of Mickey doing this. And there's hundreds of those oh, that as you flip, yep, yep, they become yep, a cartoon. Yep. If you purchase one cell, that's technically technically a non-fungible token, but it's a tangible one. It's a hard asset. And typically it'll be like number three of 300. So a token is just technically an interchangeable term for a share. 
non-fungible, meaning it's just one of one. There, you can't you can't fractionalize replicate it. it. Correct. You can't fractionalize it. Um, so you mentioned Beeple. It's really interesting what happened, especially watching the interview of the gentleman who purchased that artwork. So it went for nearly seventy million dollars. Yeah, some crazy. And it's basically larger uh, thumbnails of a bunch of different pictures. Yep. It's a digital art form. And when he purchased it for nearly this, uh, the gentleman that purchased it when he bought it for nearly seventy million, uh, in it, I watched his interview and he said, you know, not only is this a burgeoning industry, and not only are the applications just unlimited, but oftentimes it takes someone to be bold and step out and make this first big move, that at the time seems crazy, stupid, stupid insane, <laughs> but. I know that years from now, people will look back and understand what I did and why I did it and realize that I got this thing at a bargain. I'm, I'm being a pioneer. So you're saying that that 66, 70 million purchase is going to be worth billions later? That's his thinking and that's what he's sharing. And I don't see any reason to argue with that because the NFT model and where we're going with it is just so unlimited. As you mentioned, uh, Gronk came out with his own. Um, Brady's about to come out with autograph.io. So is Peyton Manning. So, so yeah. many, and artists are doing it because there's a market for it. Like right now, there's a, an exchange called Rarible uh, that you can go to and just, per, if you just browse through it, there's some really, really cool art. I, I have a question, Ooh, Ara. Please. So I wanted to talk to him because I was like, hey, I want to, like, let's make our own NFT for Kickspot. Like, I want to make like, like a first Kickspot NFT because imagine like, if, let's say we blow up right we blow up and somebody buys that nft it, we sell it for like a thousand bucks and then we blow up that thing could be worth like five ten thousand two years from now or something like but how can we make our nfts like where do we go about how do we do that that's the coolest part about what we're going through right now it's it's the wild west everything's wide open obviously you guys are creative just put your creative minds together. The best way to do that is to kind of surf through what people are doing and pick up ideas that stir your creative juices and then come up with your own flavor of something that is becoming more and more accepted and that people like. Uh, I'm not saying copy what other people are doing, but understand the marketplace a little bit better. And that's why I mentioned Rarible. So if you go to Rarible, you'll see the type of artwork that people are posting and auctioning. Think? Uh, and you'll see how much they're going for. And if you kind of check in once in a while, just like we check in with Cash App, you know, or with Robinhood, I just like to see where the stocks are at, how bad they're doing today. Uh, you said something earlier I wanted to tell you. I wake up each morning now because of how the markets are just acting crazy. I get my notifications from Robinhood and Cash App. Yeah. Each morning I wake up with like this cringe, like how many notifications am I going to see for this is down, this is down, this is down. It's been a rough couple of weeks. Yes, it has. Uh, but no, the answer to your question is uh, you work with... As creatives, you work with your creative team and you come up with what is you and it's your style. Jack Dorsey just sold his first tweet for what, a couple million? So when I say it's wide open, NFTs are everything. We're making cars NFTs. Uh, athletes are using their old shoes as NFTs. I mean, so there's, it's just so much fun to play in this space because there's a lot you can do. So for us, for instance, like we're working with a team that's developing. Um, so I guess that was my question. Do I have to ask a developer to help me? Like, let's say if I want to create my own NFT and I have a, an idea in my head, I was like, do I have, can I make it myself or do I, do I need a developer to make it for me? 
either or both can work it just depends on your knowledge level and your ability but uh and i'm gonna give a quick plug here because uh, i have a good friend here named rob beck uh who's with be creative and he's one of the most creative people i've ever met and he's in the process of starting an entire nft platform and he would be a great person to work with to get some ideas so rob big shout out i'm going to share Come your through. information with the guys um but yeah i mean he just he he saw what was happening he fell in love with it he's super creative he does a lot of 3d printing that type of stuff a lot of modeling so he started uh coming up with ideas on how to sell it and now he's making a business out of it so kind of the same start as what you're talking about that's what's up so that's what Plenzi is like. Uh, no, not at all. No, no, not at all. No, no. <laughs> NFT is like, completely different. We just got off on a yeah, NFT. He just tangent. asked us what an <laughs> NFT. Is. Like, I'm like, how do we? How so where are you going that? with that? Those Ara? two don't jive. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, okay, so we we talked about the lending side. What we're doing as a secondary vehicle for our platform is really new. It's a little bit crazy. Um, it's it's different from how we started it because what we were thinking was to take that asset now and allow tons of people to be able to buy a piece of it to fractionalize it unfortunately we're just not there yet as a country as an economy we're just that the rules haven't been fully defined for that and what's really interesting is even if you go to attorneys who are financial attorneys who have played in the crypto space who know them the space really well work with the sec even the attorneys who are well seasoned in this area, they can't give you direct answers because they don't know yet. I mean, right now the SEC is trying to sue XRP Ripple, something that happened years ago. As a general public, we see that they don't have a, a leg to stand on, but they're still pursuing it because the, the laws are just so vague. It's kind of like cannabis seven years ago, eight years ago, everything was vague. People were going to prison for growing plants. Now people have plants just all over the place. So we're in this weird early stage, again, infancy, because the SEC is figuring out how to regulate things. And at the same time, what's happening is a lot of countries are almost at market with their own digital currency, which is gonna compete with cryptocurrency. So a lot of things are super fragile right now. And um, we could go a lot, we could splinter a lot of different ways. We still haven't touched the NFT for plenty of that problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think you know just to kind of add on to what Ara was saying, I think also like one of the fears is I mean Warren Buffett spoke on it um, in his summit you know recently I think it was last week uh, he was talking about the reason why he's not supporting Bitcoin and all the altcoins is because of the criminal activities and the criminals using crypto for their benefit and I think that's also you know striking up conversations everywhere if warren buffett is saying that i mean that's kind of a big deal right yes and far be it for me to at all think i could say anything that that man does is wrong i just and to prove his point i mean we all saw what happened with colonial pipeline mm -hmm. they caved and they paid off terrorists for ransomware mm -hmm. which is such a dangerous precedent wasn't it with bitcoin I, it was with crypto, yeah, with crypto and they paid five million dollars yeah, 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 yeah. to supposed russian hackers yep. all we're doing is setting a horrible precedent by doing that but who knows the details of what they were going through and we saw the result in gas prices so i'm not there to judge anyone but to answer your question i think warren buffett might be a little off on this as an investment vehicle as a transaction vehicle in that 
When I first started purchasing Bitcoin roughly three, four years ago, a lot of the older people who I have a lot of respect for, who are financially sound, just told me, you know, this is another tulip craze. And if you know anything about the Dutch tulip craze, I encourage everybody watching, just Google it because it's funny. Roughly four or five hundred years ago, tulips became like this form of currency and they, you know, tulips die pretty quickly. So they, the value just went to this crazy bell curve and then it just completely bottomed out and it was hilarious. So a lot of people thought that Bitcoin especially was the new tulip craze. It's proving that it's not. And the funnest part of my day is as Bitcoin goes up in value, I take screenshots and send it to these guys and I keep telling them, get in, get in. It was 13, now it's 16, 19, mm -hmm. 20. And then now, what since it hit what 63, 64, and it's yeah. come back down to 49, I'm getting their text messages with their screenshots, 59, 58, 57. So it's a little bit back yeah, and forth. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I necessarily agree with him. I think the play with Bitcoin is definitely a longer term play. I'm not necessarily a big fan of altcoins like Ethereum and Doge. Uh, but there's definitely a marketplace for them and people do transact in them and Dogecoin's popularity is skyrocketing to the moon. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't have anything negative to say about them. But everything in investing is a risk. It is, yeah. Right. As the government controls more of the market um, right now, when we get into crypto, do you think celebrities or influencers are going to be the next government? I hate to answer a question with a question, but I, and I have my answer, I promise you, yeah. but I'm curious how you would answer that. Because, and I say that because of our age difference, I think influencers are more prevalent. In He's older your, than you, by the way. Oh, that great, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're more prevalent in your life than in people in their 40s and 50s. Maybe that's a misnomer, but I, I'm curious what you think of that. Well, just the, just the fact that Elon Musk had all that influence to to really lower you know the crypto world um, instantly in a, in in a second. Um, I think that these influencers do have a huge influence, and so I would be worried about the intentions behind you know certain influencers, certain celebrities, um, and the reason why they're using crypto. I agree. Um, I think it's a little bit different though, <laughs> because the government is just so vastly powerful the moment the government decides to stop something it stopped i mean literally the greatest economy in the world was stopped in a very short time because of a pandemic that hit and the government said no we're stopping everything so to your point yeah guys like elon musk and other major influencers can have a very major impact but i would argue that impact is limited it's more confined and it's most often more of a blip um and Absolutely, there are bad actors everywhere, but if you're going to be a prominent influencer that has a, uh, an appeal and people do follow you, when you become a bad actor, you get revealed pretty quickly, and once you're exposed, then your uh, influence is severely limited. And I'm not at all talking about Elon. I think what they did was a misstep. I don't think he's a bad actor. A lot of people now, like you'll see these terrible memes saying uh, they're not your friend, they're trying to harm you, this is all about their pocket. I don't necessarily believe that. I think he's um, he's pretty spontaneous and he says things a little bit crazy. He smokes blunts on Joe Rogan's podcast. Hey. And 
you know, a lot of people love that, a lot of people hate that, but I think that influence is limited in its shorter term, whereas the government, like right now in India, they've clamped down on usage of cryptocurrency so heavily that people are, are being threatened with decades of prison time for even owning Bitcoin. You can't even have Bitcoin as an asset or else you go to prison. So, and that's a country of well over a billion people and they've shut it down. So the point of people in India not even wanting to have wallets out of the country. So I think influencers can definitely have a pretty strong effect, but it's shorter term, whereas governments, especially in the US, um, because we've become so prevalent, you've got JP Morgan, you got Tesla, you got a whole host of a BNY Mellon uh, creating exchanges for crypto, purchasing their own crypto, doing transactions in crypto. The government gets it. And I don't see, even when the dollar becomes digitized, I don't see crypto being damaged by that. In fact, a, a rule, a law uh, of finance is that anytime throughout human history, whenever there have been two concurrent currencies in a society, one naturally becomes uh, more valued while the other becomes undervalued. And we're seeing that happen right now with fiat money, the dollar, and with crypto. We're seeing crypto slowly creep up. And uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with these influencers, but a lot of it has to do with we all want to get in on it because we want to get in early. So we're seeing the dollar become more and more devalued. The political climate is helping that advance. And then we're seeing the crypto really creep up. And we see these blips with what Elon did, but the overall trajectory is, you know, it's upwards. So you're saying, you said it earlier, you're saying we're still in the infancy stage. So what do you think, you know, just your opinion, Bitcoin's price will be 24 to 36 months from today? Again, I hate to answer questions with questions, but if you wouldn't mind telling me what you think it's going to be. I think it would be, I mean, I don't know, reading graphs and stuff, like, I don't know. I think next year it should be, it should be easily at 70,000, like next year. You know, like same time next year, 12 months from today, 24 months today, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes over 100,000. I, I think I'm right there with you. Do you know your thoughts? I think if Elon comes out again <laughs> and said some stupid ass shit <laughs> to lower my Bitcoin, I'm a loser. Uh, but I, I would say about the same. Yeah. Um, so I've got a really, really good friend who's next to genius level. Uh, who got in on Bitcoin from like the get and like sense wise I'm talking like 2013 oh yeah I mean wicked smart saw it got in on it is a Bitcoin purist to the bone and he'll be the first person if you sit down and ask him questions or talk to him about it he'll tell you everything else is a scam only go Bitcoin there's a lot of people out there who are Bitcoin purists. Even Ethereum is a scam. The main Ethereum blockchain is a scam. Is a scam. Wow. This is a scam. That's a scam. You know that I respect that uh, strength and fortitude and what you believe in. I don't necessarily agree because I took a pretty big hit when I sold my Ethereum when you told me to. <laughs> but um, I feel based on what influencers are doing, what the government is going to be doing soon. I mean, they have to start regulating some way. I mean, they're chomping at the bit to do it, but it's so complicated because again, we are in technically the infancy stage. I do believe all things considered, we should be within the next four years. If predictions are correct, well above 250,000 no per way. coin, probably closer to 400,000, depending on the applications that we utilize Bitcoin. I mean, that just means every altcoin goes up with it. 
That is the assumption. So the assumption with Ethereum is it's at a one to two of, of Bitcoin. Correct. And if that holds, I mean, look at what they're doing. They're facilitating so many things through smart contracts. We'll be all right, bro. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be all right. Well, there are <laughs> certain coins where I would question it too. And I understand your friend saying that. I mean, the dot com boom was a pure indication of fake companies that started and, you know, people investing into those fake companies. And, you know, it, it, it does make sense. That's, that's, that was my thing from before with like uh, Dogecoin and all those things. Like, I could see that those being fake, even though I invested into, I bought into it, but I could still see it being fake. So I'm like a little hesitant on, on those, but Bitcoin, I think Bitcoin is going to be around for a long time. And it's so funny um, how in almost every facet of life, FUD and FOMO take place yeah. concurrently. So FUD is fear, uncertainty and doubt and FOMO is fear of missing out. So we, we to Gina's point, we want to get in because we don't want to miss out. You know, I want to get... Bitcoin at less than a buck and hopefully it goes to a quarter mil, but then I have a ton of fear and uncertainty and doubt about if is this real, am I going to lose everything I'm putting in? Mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's mental torture that we're putting ourselves through. But at the same time, I think it's kind of fun. I mean, I think it's fun. I like, yeah. I like to risk it to get the biscuit as I always say, <laughs> you know? Um, so I do want to ask like, so who is Plenzi backed by? Before I get to that, may I please finish the NFT portion yeah, so yes, we don't yeah, get off track? Because okay. yes, yeah. you guys ask great questions. We go off these tangents, but I don't want to forget it. Yeah. So we talked about the lending side. We talked about what, you know, what happens when we fund the dealership. Yep. So now we've taken the asset. It's ours. So let's go back to your example. Let's say it's a $25,000 loan, um, 4% uh, for a five-year term. So now it's ours and we can turn it into an nft a non-fungible token and what i was sharing earlier was we were thinking about making it fractionalized so a ton of people can buy it just like bitcoin that's not in the cards so we're, we're doing a one for one meaning let's say there's a fourth party here and this person is an nft holder they're an investor so i take your twenty-five thousand dollar loan that i funded to the dealership and i take that asset and I sell it to this person, which is very common. So in the mortgage world, yeah. banks batch loans. So they'll take like a hundred A paper loans, a hundred Alt-A, a hundred subprime, and they'll sell them to investors because then the investors can make that interest uh, income over the years. So we're, we're following a similar model. And what we're doing is we're taking the asset, we're selling the title, and now the NFT holder comes in and they pay me a premium. So that 25 grand, they give me the 25 plus a 3% premium. And let's say it's a 4% um, interest rate. Uh, we take we take 20% of that 4%. So the remainder, let's just say for even number is 3%. So for the life of that loan, they're making 3%. The cool part is it's two part actually. We're servicing it for them. So the NFT holder doesn't have to do anything. They've just given us the 25 grand plus the 3% premium plus a little bit off the top of the interest rate. And now they're just making money. And it's a long term, I'm collecting money every month. The first question I'm always asked is, well, what happens if that borrower, what happens if Gina if defaults? If it falls, yeah. Or if he refinances? Yeah. We are contractually guaranteeing that loan, that those payments to the NFT holder for the life of the, of the contract. It's contractually guaranteed. And how we do that is everything we sell, so the, um, the 25 grand on the car, the 695 processing fee, the few hundred bucks for the GPS, if you bought the gap insurance, every bit of that, we take 20% of the gross profit, we put it in reserve. And to put that in perspective, right now, 
in the U.S., the default rate on automotive loans is roughly four and a half, five percent. Seems low. It, it is a little bit low, but in general, an average out is about four and a half, five percent. During the 0708 economic downturn, it crept all the way up to about eight and a half, nine percent. There are different instances and different ways to crack the numbers and look at it differently, but generally speaking, it's roughly four and a half, five percent. We've taken 4X that and set it aside. So we know we're being a little overly conservative, but that's how we're guaranteeing the money to the NFT holders. So a quick recap, we fund the dealership, we become the owner of the vehicle, the asset is ours because we're holding title. We take that title, now we sell it as a non-fungible token to an NFT holder. They pay us the full principal balance, plus a premium on the balance and a small premium on the percentage, and they just make money long-term, that's guaranteed. Now that money goes right back into our loan pool, so we start loaning it again and again and again. So it's a self-regenerating process. So it doesn't affect the consumer, they don't even know what's happening. No, they don't. it's just like, you know, um, when you get a mortgage, you know, you get your mortgage at uh, B of A, and then three months later, they've sold it to another servicing company, your, your coupons are just different, but it doesn't matter to them because the rate stays the same, the term stays the same. Hmm. It's still kind of confusing, but I get it. Is it really? Yeah. No, okay. it, no, no. I, I, I completely get it. Like, because, you know, when I when I bought my home, like, someone else is buying my, my, my title or whatever, or my, my mortgage. So I would always see different companies. I think throughout, like, the three years, it was, like, eight different companies. <laughs> but my rate never changed. Right? And your payment never changed. My payment never changed. So someone was buying it, you know, obviously, on the back end so that they can make more money. So got it, got it, got it. So okay. it's similar to that. Okay. That, yeah, very yeah. similar. Yeah. Same process. This is just an NFT now. It's a non-fungible token. It's a very different model. No banks do this where they sell the paper that they've funded and then redo the process again. So we're really excited about it because it's it's almost impossible to create a business that has its own self-regenerating revenue. Typically, you sell something, you get the money, and then you spend it on something else. This is, you sell something, you've given the money, now you get the money right back. And the really cool part is the dealerships themselves can become the NFT holders. So they'll go through uh, their report that shows all the deals that have gone through Plenzi for them, and they can pick and choose which ones they wanna buy. Now they become their own bank and they're getting paid on that so, so they're double dipping it's not necessarily double dipping they're making they're a little paying, bit more they're making a little bit more yeah. in the long run because we're allowing them to do Got that it. because we're giving them that uh they're buying percent it. of yeah. the interest they're buying it and they're making money on long term that's pretty smart so with plan z do you guys have valuation for plan z currently so right now can i even ask that absolutely and I, i'll share what everything i can share and then what i can't yet i'll of course leave out but um, at least for now, but we're technically in, in what's called our investment roadshow. So we're um, we're doing two things concurrently because it's so rare for people to be able to bless the people they love in their lives, their friends and family, um, with an opportunity to come in on something that could be amazing, that could serve countless people and do financial miracles. Um, we are doing our typical investment process, which is what every company does, but we're also doing a friends and family round. So right now, um, what we've defined as uh, the the entrance to get in on investing at this stage is um, $5 per share or per token. Um, it, we use that interchangeably, 10,000 shares at a $50,000 tranche. So 
even if you're a non-accredited investor, if you're not like this big investor with $2 million in liquid assets, you can still come in and purchase pre, um, pre-launch and be able to have shares in a company that's going to do really well. Um, to put that in perspective, um, the first couple months of this year, because I work with dealerships, I was going to every dealership I could go to in Southern California, and I was feeling people out. I was talking to GMs, GSMs, uh, general managers, and finance directors, and telling them about Plenzi. And it was a very pleasant surprise to see them not only jacked up about it, but wanting to be part of it in multiple ways. So I wanted to see if I could get them to put a little bit of skin in the game. And I got them, I got 57 dealerships to sign a letter of intent stating that when Plenzi launches, we want in, we want to utilize your product and we're going to use it. So I would ask them a lot of questions like, you know, typically speaking in a month, how many people do you think you were almost going to get to be a customer, but you just couldn't get them financed. And at first, they'll, it, it's funny, they'll first think, oh, you know, five, 10. And then the more you talk and the more you talk about what Plenzi can do and how it's not just for great credit people or bad credit people, but for everyone, then they realize, oh, wow, you know, there was that lawyer that I couldn't get financed, even though he makes great money. There was that family that had no credit. There was that other family that had that challenged credit and it was the dumbest thing from a decade ago, but we couldn't. So then their mind expands and they always tell me easily 35 to 50 loans I can do a month. How we've gotten to our valuation is we've kept it super, super simple and conservative. So even though we have 57 letters of intent, um, we're going to start the first month with only five stores, five dealerships. And those five dealerships, the only expectation is that they do four new car loans and two used car loans. So 30 total loans, six loans per dealership, five dealerships. But they can do more. Absolutely, they can do more. We, Because we want to really dive in and prove our model, we've been proving it by stress testing it, um, but now we're going to prove it live. Um, we want to keep it tight, and we want to keep the numbers crazy conservative to the point of, again, even though we have 57 letters of intent in like a three-and-a-half-week period, we've only forecasted after five full years only 275 stores coming on board is wicked conservative given the fact that there's 60,000 dealerships in the U.S. So we're keeping it really clean and we're saying each month when the store starts they're only doing four new car loans and two used car loans and then every subsequent month adding two more new car loans and only one more used car loan. So we're even the scale is really conservative. That's smart. I like that. So what's the valuation? Um, That's hard. That is part of our investor package. Uh, and we ask people to sign an NDA for that. So, oh, facts. Uh, but just to give you an idea, what we're forecasting roughly is um, exponential growth from day one to year five. So, and the valuation is going to change, obviously, when the first tranche of 25 million comes in. Uh, and Gina, you had asked, who are we working with? There's some very reputable players that we're working with. We don't share their information all that much, but. One of the primary groups that has come to the table is Terraform Capital out of Westlake Village. Um, just amazing people who are uh, gurus in the crypto space and the DeFi space. They understand it. And the best part of this process has been they they really wanted to take a look under the hood. And our team, it to say our team is second to none, honestly, is an understatement. Um, our CTO... Uh, his name is Murley. He um, was uh, head of compliance and security for Citibank and Bonamex. Um, uh, we have 
another gentleman who is working as technically as CTO, uh, Charles Voltron, my favorite last name of all time. Charles Voltron, yeah. love that um, This guy is so wicked genius that as I'm watching the back and forth between Terraform Capital and our team and what Marilee and Charles are telling them, it's like I'm getting a college education just from these back and forth emails and what they're sharing and how the processes work. And to see that and see the validation from people who get it and have done it and have been successful with it, it just gives us such a new sense of credibility. For sure. Well, I'm good. I'm I mean, good I, on the I, questions. I, oh my God. We yeah. we drilled Ara <laughs> here with questioning, dude. That was fun. That was very informative. My gosh. Very different niche than what I thought originally. Mm. Um, what it was and and you're targeting a market that actually needs a product yeah 100 um, which which i am a fan of uh low-income communities often get left out in a lot of opportunities so i'm glad you guys are catering to that and, and giving them an opportunity so i i think it's good i think the model of um selling the um what is it the certain amounts like to different different people so that you can get your investment back that's just that's a smart idea because a lot of big companies are doing that right now. Like you take like Apple, for example, they don't just own Apple, but Apple finance people, they will actually go into the open market and then it reinvest their money and invest into different companies and just for like the day, make a crap ton of money and then reinvest it back into their company. So it's, it's very similar. Not a lot of people understand that a lot of big companies are doing that for you guys to start off like that in a similar sense i think it's very very smart yeah and i think for me it's the fact that you're not using fico for consumers and you guys have your own algorithm you guys have your own opportunities you break it down into four parts i think that to me is pretty big because i mean i've almost you know my i've experienced like not being approved for something because i've like my scores did not communicate with each other and one, they had to use one score because that was their policy and procedure. And I had to fall in that category and it sucked, you know? So I've been there. Yeah. Thank you guys. This is awesome. Yeah. It's such a treat to be on with you guys. Do you, do you have any, any information like where, where listeners well, yeah. can go check out, you know, uh, Plan Z or Thank any you for that. Pounder? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Pounder would be much more uh, focused only for dealerships. Um, so that's something that we take a business to business approach on and uh, a little bit through LinkedIn. But if you're interested to find out more about Plenzi, and by the way, the, when we launch, there's gonna be a concurrent app that launches as well, which allows for borrowers to do things from their own home, which is just gonna change the game in so many ways. Game but uh, very simple, P-L-E-N-S-Y.com, Plenzi.com. There's a ton of information on there. And then there's an area where you can ask us for more content, uh, for more information. So we'd be happy to reach out to anybody that's interested. Awesome. Perfect. And uh, we're going to definitely have to bring you back to yes. see the future of Plenzi. Yes. And, and what that looks like. We want to see, you know, we actually might even exponential be growth. You know, I definitely would love to do that with one condition that we get to throw in some sports and talk some trash. During. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. We, we're going to have you on the NFL. And maybe a I bottle of Glenn, hey. which I failed to bring. My hey. apologies. Camus, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that works. Um, so if you all want any information, please check out our social media uh, at Instagram. We got the underscore kickspot. Yep. And then you can find us on YouTube. Um, I'll just put the links right, right below here. as right well, here. too. Right here. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for listening. Thank Appreciate you all, all right, for thank listening. Thank you. Thanks, gents. Much appreciated. Thank you so much, Ar. Awesome. All right. Peace. Thank you for listening to Kickspot.